happy Friday, everybody, and season's greetings, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Has anybody out there watched that new South Park special? <laughs> <laughs> that shit was crazy. Uh, <laughs> I haven't. Just so Wait, you know. Are you, are you about to – hold on a second. We've never talked about oh, this. Here we go again. You know, Dominic, As some, since you've apparently never watched anything in your life, have you ever watched South Park? Yeah, I've watched South Park. Episodes of South Park. No particular order or sequence of South Park. But I have watched it. And for that, Noah, <laughs> you cannot shit on me. I feel like much. you're holding back some details. I feel like you haven't really watched it, you know? I wouldn't say I'm a number one fan. That's all. Like me? Like you. I was such a fan, I decided I wanted to look like Eric Cartman, not just <laughs> not just watch the show anymore. Uh, so if you guys didn't know, this is the comedy special edition of the <laughs> Below Average Jersey. Oh, Page. yeah, we got some fights to talk about. It's uh, Friday, as it I is. said at the top, which means... We're here to give you guys the MMA weekend preview. Uh, my name is Noah Baker. I'm joined, as always, by the one, the only, Dominic Salee. Thank you. Yes. How are you feeling, Dominic? I'm happy to be here, Noah. I'm excited. You know, we had the special episode on Wednesday. We got back into the kick of it after a week off. The Thanksgiving, we're digesting food, talking about meals and holiday traditions. Great episode if you haven't listened to it. But today... We're back in the saddle, a weekend preview for the first time in two weeks. We got some great fights from Bellator and the UFC, and we got some news to recap that we've missed. So I'm excited, Noah. What about yourself? Um, today's sucked. <laughs> the day we're recording this sucked, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Friday, Friday. Th this Friday's great. Yes, Friday's fantastic. In the yes. week, the weekend's here. People listening in the morning are like, damn, what happened to Noah at 5 a.m.? <laughs> I'll just put it like this. For those of you that work in most environments, end of the month. That's all I got to say. End of the fucking month. <laughs> Let's get into those fight announcements. How about Here we that? Go. This is something to cheer me up. Yes. This is, th these are some gifts the UFC put under the tree. A little early uh, this year. They did. They it did. starts February 26th. We got a twoper. We got oh, a couple yeah. twopers. These are on, on the same card. Uh, I believe that main event, five rounder, Benil Dariush goes mm. one on one with Islam Makachev. It's the fight that we kind of expected, that we were hoping for, and we're getting it five rounds in February. Dominic, what do you think about this one? It's it's a great fight. It's the one, like you said, that we expected. Benil, seven-fight win streak. Islam, nine-fight win streak. Someone's streak has to come to an end, unless there's a draw. I always like to throw that possibility out there, but uh, I think this is a great fight, man. Benil, a guy that is so slept on, so underrated, a very well-rounded fighter. I mean, he's good on the ground, good on the feet. He's not afraid to get into a slugfest and take some shots to give you some shots. Islam, on the other hand, this is a guy that he hasn't really – he hasn't fought anyone with this type of style before where just reckless abandon essentially is what Darius has shown before to come in uh, with. So I think this is a good test for Islam, and it's that one more win we kind of want to see him get before he gets in there to fight for a title. And for Benil, his chance to earn a title shot as well, it's a fantastic fight, man. I'm very excited for it. And a five-round main event kind of puts some icing on top of the cake. Yeah, I don't really believe we're going to see a reckless abandon style for Darius in this fight. I mean, I just... 
Uh, you look at how composed he was against Tony Ferguson, mm-hmm. and that is the fighter that would bring that style out. Obviously, Dariush has been in some firefights. He's been in some really fun wars in the past, but he made it very clear that if he wants to be serious about running for the title or making a run at the title, I should say, that he needs to clean it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even if that meant, you know, taking the easy win against Tony Ferguson, doing kind of going against what his instinct told him to do and fight, yep. the, fight the right fight. And, you know, you can boo it all you want or say that fight sucked and we didn't like that fight, but Dariush won and I'm glad he's getting this opportunity next. And he's going to be counted out here for sure. Islam oh, Makhachev yeah. is, you know, for better or worse, he's being basically looked at as like Habib, almost like Habib came out of retirement in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Like this is kind of like what Islam Makhachev is being already crowned as the the uncrowned champ mm-hmm. of sorts. And I think that there's good reason for people to believe in Islam that highly, but also don't think it's very fair. I mean, life's not fair, right? End of the right. month. Whatever. <laughs> but, but no, but uh, I don't think it's um, I don't think it does justice to this matchup. You know, Islam getting a win here would be huge for his yeah. stock. And um, I do want to transition into a viewer question. We actually did have a question about this very fight. Uh, it came after our roundtable on Wednesday, mm-hmm. so we're going to put it in here, Dominic. So are you ready for the question? I'm ready, yes. So uh, this this viewer, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> he mentioned that Dariush versus uh, Makachev is the fight that he is most excited for next year so far. So my question to you guys is if Poirier versus Oliveira is a war and both have to take time off until, let's say, August, what are the odds that the winner of this Dariush versus Makachev fight would jump Justin Gaethje and get the title shot? Yeah, I read this a few times because I was confused when I initially read it. Then I read oh, it again. Really? I'm like, yeah, but... uh. It took me a couple reads. You know, I haven't taken any language arts classes in a while. <laughs> Noah gets me all the time for my spelling, so <laughs> bear with me here. But this fight obviously is huge, and it is a number one contender fight, except there's a number one contender already in Justin Gaethje. But if Oliveira Poirier is a war, which I think it will be, I don't know if it'll be a five-round war, but it's going to be a war regardless. Um, there is potential for the winner of that to need a prolonged um, layoff. But, you know, Justin has already kind of shown the UFC, the fans, that he's willing to wait for a title shot. And then he took a fight with Chandler anyway, won it, and clearly earned the title shot in our eyes. So I think he's going to be fine with waiting again. And I don't necessarily see the UFC throwing the winner of this fight over top of Gaethje. If anything, they would make the winner of this fight Gaethje in the meantime. But again, I still just don't see that long of a layoff all the way to August anyways. So Justin's going to go first, and then the winner of this will be next. Um, it's an interesting kind of sequence of events to at least throw out there uh, from our anonymous viewer. I think he goes by Dale sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, I don't see the winner of this hop scotching Justin Gaethje for a title. I think what's more likely, I'm just going to go, you know, no matter what we think, we haven't seen the fight yet, so it doesn't. Who knows? But based off what he's asking, if let's say August, 
is when the winner of Poirier Oliveira would be out till, or really both guys would be out till. Um, I think that there's a reason to believe that their UFC might do one of those shitty interim belts and yep. you do Justin Gaethje versus the winner of Makachev, Dariush for uh, would it feel like it should happen? No, but you know, just because Oliveira or Poirier are coming off a war, hypothetically could be ready by August. Maybe you want to give them a little more time. So you do an interim belt yeah. sometime in the summer and then around, you know, November, October next year, then you, you know, do title versus title. The UFC right. loves doing the champ versus champ stuff. You got Ghana and Ghana about to do something like that. So I think that's more likely, but it is an interesting question to ask because the timing of this is very interesting because, you know, We've had this constant debate going on about if Justin Gaethje should be next, if Islam Makachev should be next. Mm -hmm. And Gaethje just fought uh, in November. Right. You got the title fight coming in like a week. Yeah. And then <laughs> this fight's in February. So the pain on when they book, when they're able to book Gaethje versus the winner of Poirier Oliveira, there is, you know, Right now, it felt like the majority opinion was on Gaethje being the number one contender. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen if, let's say, either one of those guys in February puts on like a hellacious one-sided performance. You know, if Makachev does the Dariush, what similar fashion he did to Dan Hooker, mm -hmm. a lot more people are going to start speaking up and saying, oh, Gaethje should have to fight someone else. Yeah. So it's... That's how quickly the sport moves. Um, I hope that that fight would be booked before Dariush Makachev happens. Yeah. Just so we can get a direction. But, you know, based off the hypothetical here, I think an interim belt would be more likely if that were the case. Yep, I agree. Moving on from there, also February 26th, a couple of up-and-comers here. Armand Saryukin, he's been looking for a big fight. Uh, did he get it? Well, he got a big opponent, a guy who struggles <laughs> to make 155 pounds. Yeah, or Joel, Joel Alvarez, who I, I'm sorry to clown him like that right there, but he, I mean, back to back weight misses. This is really his last chance at 155 pounds for sure. Well, for what it's worth, sorry, but Armin did tweet, No lightweights wanted to fight me, so I had to take a fight against a welterweight. <laughs> so he was kind of taking the jabs at Alvarez, too. Yeah. So. So, I mean, Joel Alvarez is great. He's coming off a very fantastic mm -hmm. performance in his last bout. Armand Saryukin is a guy that really outside of when he fought Islam, and that was even a relatively close fight, he's been perfect. Mm -hmm. So he's one of the next wave. The, both these guys really are kind of in that next wave of lightweights. Before Joel Alvarez's last performance, he had really gone under the radar, even in comparison to Saryukin, who I wouldn't say is like – some big prospect everybody's talking about, even though they should be. Yeah. So sure. this is a fight that's probably going to go under the radar in comparison to what it really is. This fight is big. It's a big in a lot of ways. And I don't, I hope that both guys can just make weight. So we don't have any sort of, you know, controversy, right. You know, because these are two of the most promising guys in this lightweight division that are really looking to earn that, number next to her name, earn that big fight, and they're going to have to use each other to try to do it. Amen to that. I can't even add on anything, Noah. March 5th, another twofer. <laughs> and I believe this is, is this the main, 
Did they say this is the main event for March? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think know. I don't think they've said. So I'm going to assume not. But we do get a really big fight and mm-hmm. a fight that I wouldn't say would be a bad main event. And that's in the featherweight division. Edson Barboza coming off of his loss to Giga Chikaze. He looks to get back on track against Bryce Mitchell. Have you all listened to that mixtape? Dark and Saul is one of the song (laughs) names, I think. But uh, Bryce Mitchell, we haven't seen in like a year. Long time, yeah. We last saw him in a much improved striking form Mm -hmm. against – who did he fight? The guy with all the tattoos. Oh, crud. Um, Let me pull it up. Alpha male. I'm pulling it up. Okay. I'm pulling well, it up. Regardless, even though Bryce Mitchell showed a lot of growth on the feet, I definitely um, think that there are some clear advantages for each guy in this fight. And it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle for Mitchell because he's going to depend strictly on getting this fight to the ground and uh, trying to submit Barboza. But time has shown that Unless you're a big guy, it's hard to really take down and hold down Edson Barboza. So uh, I definitely don't think Mitchell's going to want anything to do with the feet. But I love this fight. Mitchell's been kind of – I've been wanting to see this guy get tested a little bit more. And now he gets to do it against one of the best in the division. Yeah, that fight came against Andre Feely in October of 2020. So now this is going to be March of 2022. So a long layoff, as Noah alluded to, with Bryce Mitchell. But he's coming back with a real tough test here. It's going to test his striking, and it's really going to show how good of a grappler he is if he can get Barboza down and hold him, as Noah said as well. And for Barboza, he's still hanging around, man. Like, if he can get this win, he's still right there amongst these top 10 guys, potentially with dreams of still reaching title contention status. That's a fantastic fight, and I wouldn't be upset if it's a main event either. I know the Chikadze lost set him back, but number nine does not do him justice. I mean, it might be accurate. Because, uh, I mean, this featherweight division, it might not get the shine of the lightweights or the bantamweights, but, I mean, it's just as It's stacked. right there. I mean, it, honestly, it has – it kind of has more – it seems like it has more on the back half. Like, yeah. these guys on the back, Sadiq Yusuf and, you know, Bryce Mitchell, these guys show so much potential, but they're not yet in the top ten for a lot of them. Right. Barboza is, is a clear – this is a clear, like, you win this and you're – potentially knocking on the door of title contention. And that's a big step for Bryce Mitchell, who up to this point, Andre Feely, good win. But, you know, he really is kind of fight is a big step up. That's, oh, yeah. That's the way it'll be said. Undoubtedly. Also on March 5th, one of our newcomer of the year's contenders for 2021, Manon Fior. She's going to be back in action. Number 14 ranked right now, going up against – the former title challenger, number nine, Jessica I. Dominic, you seem to be on board with this one. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I love this. I told you kind of this morning when you sent the DM on Twitter, I love the pacing at which the UFC is moving along, uh, Menon and Casey O'Neill both. So they kind of had their cracks into the rankings with their most recent wins, and now they're getting pushed with the top ten contenders Jessica I here in this matchup, former title contender. Manon has just shown her unbelievable um, striking skill set, kind of a bit of a karate style in a way, but can do it all. Um, I would like to see her get tested in like the clinch and grappling. Jessica I can definitely do that in terms of the clinch. I don't know more so on the ground if that'll happen. But uh, she's one that likes to box as well and get into some firefights. Maybe she can at least show some 
uh, adversity here to Manon that she hasn't really had to face yet. It's a tough fight, but one that if Manon can win, she's going to catapult herself right in there, man. I love these type of matchups for these two young ladies. I'm going to apologize in advance because this might come off like I'm underestimating Jessica I, but I mean, this is complete slaughter fight being set up here. Oof. I mean, Jessica I is a girl that depends on her boxing, but she is not, she is yet to, I mean, you look at what happened when she went up against a very good striker in Valentina, who obviously the queen, the champion, and she got put into oblivion. I mean, Manon Fior is not, I mean, her striking is probably the next best that Jessica Eye's ever fought. Yeah. Jessica Eye does not have any other skills that she can really depend on that I, I mean, she's not a grappler. Yeah. And you said she could test her in the clinch, but I mean, how long can you really do that and win a fight by holding someone in a clinch, you know? So, um, you know, I just, I, I, I don't love it. I don't like this fight. I just, I don't like it. I mean, I get it. You know, just guys, not really a lot of people's favorite fighter. I get it, but you know, I, I just wonder if, you know, when I see these kind of fights being booked, you know, this reminds me a lot of like Matt Brown when he got booked against Miguel Baeza. It's like, hmm. I mean, these veterans, I get it. They they got to fight somebody, but uh, just this fight could get ugly quick. And it doesn't really tell me much about Manon, even if she does. Like, what are we really going to learn if she knocks out Jessica I? I mean, most you might say that's impressive, but I I mean, I, and it is impressive. It's just it's not really what I need answered about her right now. Hmm. Like, sure, that might get her into the top ten, but. I want to see her face someone that's good on the ground. Yeah. Someone who will take that fight to her and not just let her play her distance game. And I just don't think Jessica I is the fighter to do that. It's some it's a, it's gonna be good for her to get a win over someone like that to hop into the top ten if she's able to do it. But maybe I'm counting out Jessica I, but I think there's a reason why after her lone title shot, she's kind of fallen off in a lot of ways. Fair enough. Last one. Hey, now. March 26th, five-rounder as well. Jan Blahovich looks to reinsert himself into I love it. Picture. I love it. Goes head-to-head with the, I guess, the other guy that's really looking to <laughs> yeah. put himself in a similar situation. Kind of the guy that got left out with uh, Yuri Prohaska appearing to be next for the title shot against Glover Teixeira. And that's Alexander Rakich. So, Dominic, 1v2 here in the light heavyweight division. Are you on board with this? Do you, are you, the timing of it, does it feel like enough time for Jan to get back in there and compete? Yeah, I, I, I like this for Jan getting back in there because he's a guy that over the past two years, like as a champion, had longer layoffs, wasn't like the most active guy. Um, so I'm liking that he's going to try and bounce back here. I know he got submitted, but it's not like he got knocked out or anything. Hopefully there's no not too much damage. Um, so a few months away now. This is a really hard fight for Jan, but I respect him for taking it and wanting to stay right there in title contention talks. And if Rakic isn't fighting Yuri, which obviously isn't going to happen now, then this was the next best thing for him. Yuri's going to obviously fight Glover to share for the belt. Everything works out up there in the top four of the division, including the new champion Glover. Interesting fight. Rakic is an incredible kickboxer. Um, not the most aggressive guy, but he carries a lot of power, especially with his kicks. Can Jan withstand it? Can Jan grapple rakich i don't really know what's going to happen in this one but i do like that it's a five-round main event 
yeah, truth, truthfully, I mean, it's, it's an obvious clear cut. This person winner of this is next for a title, especially if it's Alexander Rakic. And um, I respect the hell out of Jan Blahovic for just throwing himself back into the fire. And I don't think it by any means, this is some sort of mismatch. I, mm-hmm. I think Jan Blahovic has proven despite even the tough, you know, one-sided fashion of that, that title loss. I think he proved on that title run. And even before that, how far he's come and maybe how, what kind of skills he already had that we just hadn't really gotten to see. And even in like in the Adesanya fight, you look at how well he was able to wrestle in that fight. Mm-hmm. And while I don't know if that will really come into play against the bigger opponent and Alexander Rakic, I do think that if he's able to mix up his levels well, that could keep Rakic guessing. And Alexander Rakic is already a guy, like you said, not someone that presses on the gas too often. He he definitely picks and chooses his mm-hmm. shots very wisely, very meticulous with the shots he puts out there. And if he can if you can force him into a state of where he is constantly guessing, that's only gonna put his input even lower. So it's a really good fight, a lot of interesting variables and um yeah, March twenty sixth, a ways away, but I think it's an appropriate time Rakic has been out for a while too. Yeah, last time yeah. he—that's over a year for him mm-hmm. coming off that win against Anthony Smith. And honestly, I'm kind of glad Anthony Smith is not put with either one of these guys. I'm not opposed to Anthony Smith being back in the top of the heap. I just—I didn't want to see him fight uh, Rakic again. And you know, the Blahovic fight could have worked, but I just think both guys are on different timetables right now with the recovery processes. So yeah. I'm glad this is the fight we're getting. Yeah, I agree. So after that, we're moving on to the PFL because their CEO, Peter Murray, had a lot to say about the PFL's future plans coming in 2022. He spoke with Awful announcing about those plans. A lot was laid out, Dominic. I'll I'll let us just kind of talk about it as we, you know, uh, we can unveil it as we speak about it. But um, what, stuck, what stuck out to you from this interview and are you – optimistic about the PFL's 2022 or pessimistic haven't changed your thoughts how are you feeling about them yeah man i mean i'm a big fan of the PFL and what stuck out to me most 30 plus live events sign me up for that because you can go back on the record on the show and hear me and Noah discuss how we want to see more from the PFL and that every couple months just you know they have a decent sized roster to do more than just once every two months uh with their um what is it a season that they do so i'm excited to see more pfl it's just more fights for us to cover on here curious to see if that'll kind of lead them to make some more bigger free agent signings going into 2022 as well Uh, so that's what stood out to me most i am optimistic for the future one thing that i notice here and i'm sure you'll get into it too uh, with all these plans that were announced there was no broadcast partner mentioned just yet so I don't know if they're going to be back on ESPN, if they're going to move to TNT, as Noah's mentioned in the past, uh, like one championship has done, or maybe another option. But 30-plus live events definitely stood out to me the most, my friend. Yeah, the one thing uh, that I'm not uh, in love with about that 30-plus events, you know, don't get me wrong, I I love that they want to be more active, but they mentioned pay-per-view. Yep. And I can't – I just – look, the UFC does – I know the UFC is on pay-per-view a lot, and – they, they do a great job for it, but they also have the roster, the talent to yeah. to ask for that much money once a month. Yep. If PFL starts trying to charge 
even if it's 30 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever for a few of their cards it's gonna be hard to really stomach that at times i'm sure because yeah. at the end of the day as much as we enjoy the pfl dominic it's a b-tier organ mma organization mm -hmm. so are we really going to be wanting to dish out that kind of money for events that you know unless someone like you know maybe if you have a kayla harrison on there or someone like that which i'm sure they would do yeah if they if they still have her around but didn't love that i do like some of these things it's i think the pfl challenger series is kind of interesting that's intriguing uh, yeah definitely a ripoff of uh <laughs> dana white's contender series but it, i think if, in some ways maybe it's just an homage maybe it's just an accepting that this is a really good format yeah. for building talent or i shouldn't say building talent for bringing talent in mm -hmm. and the pfl while they might not be able to get near the prospects that the ufc has gotten i think this is an interesting spotlight to flash on some guys that are maybe maybe you'll see a lot of guys making their debuts on this show you know 100 so i love that they're at least trying to do some different things they said this would run like for eight weeks mm -hmm. uh, between march and april i think so sign me up for that there was a lot of things uh, the splitting the championship oh. up into two cards. Hallelujah! Thank God. I I <laughs> can't. I don't think I could sit for another seven hour card. Oh man. man! Especially when it was one fight on an hour every hour. Yeah. And you just get a lot of ads in between. Yeah. Ads. Split it up, three title fights on each card with some undercard stuff. That's the way to do it. Um, and the last one, the MMA Combine. I, I don't really know what to expect from that. I know. Um, but again, I, I, I'm happy to see that they're being very ambitious. And Yeah, um, that's what they're known I, for. I hope that they don't get too ambitious. I think that's kind of been a thing for them that they just, they, they haven't quite found the, the middle ground where it's like, be ambitious, but also be, don't go overboard. Right. You know, you look at like their, their uh, what they do with their, their smart cage smart or whatever cage. they call it. Yeah. There's a lot of stupid stuff with that. But I like the concept. So it's like you got to find the, right, the, the middle, middle ground. <laughs> like, Do I need to see the speed that each punch comes in? No. No. Just keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. Right. You Kiss. know what I mean? Yeah. Me and No don't get many kisses. <laughs> Next up, <laughs> what we missed. This is the last couple things here before we get into our fights. Uh, starting with Dan Hooker. Wow, he, he this one very, shocked me. Very quickly came out and said he was considering dropping back to 145 pounds, a division he started in, a division that we've all been shocked that he even made at one point in time. Um, and then very quickly he posted himself on a scale, yep. 146 pounds, Dominic. So are you uh, on board with this move? Are you thinking that this is going to be a good idea? And who do you maybe want to see Dan Hooker go up against first? Yeah, man. Um, this is interesting because I was shocked when I saw this. Not only just the soundbite of him, you know, teasing it. I think it was with the Mac Life. He does like a podcast thing with them now once a week. Pub Talk, I think is the name of it. Mm -hmm. um, but then he goes on and does basically like a mock weight cut for a fight, essentially. I know he's still over there in Vegas, if I'm not mistaken, at the UFC PI. So he's over there kind of getting his nutrition down. Uh, and doing all of this with his family being there. I know the UFC brought his family out in his last fight. So this is an interesting move for Dan. Uh, one that I am on board with. If he's already shown that he can make it comfortably here, he looked good in the pictures he posted alongside with him making the weight. So I'm definitely intrigued. I would say he's arguably right there, obviously, amongst top 15 contenders. He's been competing with the best of the best at lightweight for the past few years. 
Um, I throw him right in with. I have to give him a top ten guy. No, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's a great a great move for him. If he doesn't see a future at lightweight, he's still a fan favorite. People love seeing him. He needs to bounce back. Maybe he thinks this is the proper career move at this point in his life. Maybe he makes a run for a title. I like it. I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm. I mean, this guy is was. I mean, he's pretty big, lightweight. <laughs> he's so big. <laughs> and. There was a reason why he didn't last at featherweight. You know, he kind of – he was gutting himself to make the weight. Mm-hmm. And I will say – and now that – I mean, you didn't see a ton of footage, but that test cut, he looked pretty good from what yeah. you could see, the angles you could see. Um, He used to gut himself to get there, and then his chin wouldn't always hold up very yes. well at that division. He's – so from what we've seen so far, and I know he was a lot younger at featherweight, he is shown to be a much better lightweight fighter than a featherweight fighter. But with that being said, there's I, I don't have any proof that him going back there is going to be a bad move. You know, look at Edson Barboza, who I, I thought that was the worst idea in the world, and he really has kept a good thing going down there. But mm-hmm. I mean, he was if he would have beat Giga, he was probably one fight away from a title shot potentially. So yeah, I I I'm excited. I think it's it's a probably it's probably good to get out of the lightweight division for now. You know, he kind of found himself as a man with no home at, at, yeah. you know, after a couple tough losses. I'm not opposed to a top 10 opponent, a name that stuck out to me, not top 10, but uh Sadiq Yusuf, both guys coming <laughs> off losses. And you know what a fan you are of Sadiq Yusuf, mm. a guy who is very big in that featherweight division as well. Yeah. Um, very powerful guy. And Dan Hooker being the older, more experienced fighter. Um, I think that could be a fireworks matchup for sure. Yeah, man. Also, Kevin Lee. We last heard about him for his USADA violation uh, due to ADHD medication. Is that, is that right? Yeah, Adderall. Uh, Adderall, that's right. Uh, he was released yeah. by the UFC this week. Um, are you surprised by this news? And maybe if you want to, after that, talk about maybe where you think is he's going next it was surprising i guess i mean he was serving a suspension so we just it's up in february so i just assumed he was going to ride that out and then he'd have a fight booked but no they cut the ufc cuts him during his suspension um you know surprising but at the same time he's i saw his this tweet i think i sent it to you guys he was nine and two at one point and in his last seven fights, he's won two or something like that, which is just so crazy to me. We've always been two guys that like believed in the potential of Kevin Lee, but we were always pessimistic if he could put it all together to like reach where that potential could take him, I guess is the best way to put it. And now, man, he's out of the UFC. The good news is he's still very young. I think he's not even 30 yet, or he's right 29. around 30, 29. So still young, right there in his prime. Hopefully he gets the suspension served up. I know he was on the MMA hour with Ariel, and I think he said three organizations have already reached out to him, one being Eagle FC, which is Habib's organization, which, fun fact, is coming to America for like 10 events next year. I probably should have put that on this episode as well. I didn't (laughs) think about it. Yeah, so Habib, I guess, has like had his people reach out to Kevin Lee immediately. Um, So that would be interesting. We haven't really got to watch Eagle FC yet. It could make an appearance on regional showcase, obviously, especially in America if they come here next year. Um, But yeah, I mean, Bellator, PFL, Kevin Lee fits in at these places. Uh, Weight class, let's figure that out, I guess. But 
I still think in terms of his skill set, he does fit anywhere. And I think we're going to see him uh, make some decent noise wherever he chooses to uh, end up. Yeah, I'm only surprised by the timing. I'm surprised mm-hmm. that it was the USADA violation considering how – which I'm not saying that's the reason he got cut, but I'm surprised that that was like really yeah. even – I mean, it, I'm assuming that that had something to do with him being cut. Maybe it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. I felt like we were already kind of wondering what was next for him after his last mm-hmm. loss to Daniel Rodriguez. You know, he goes up yeah, after kind of being a guy that – couldn't decide if he was a 155 pounder or 170 pounder making one more shot one read a re-debut yep at 170 pounds after a long layoff and he loses looks kind of flat really for the most part so i kind of it, it wouldn't have surprised me as much if he had gotten cut after that performance but for it to happen you know this far out a little surprising yeah but you know i i'm not kevin lee is still very talented he just there's just certain things that he's got to get worked out, and the first of which is figuring out what weight class he's in. Mm-hmm. I mean, 155 pounds would be ideal, but if you can't make the weight and remain in decent health, I don't think he's like a poor 170 pounder. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was at least like yes, I know he's 0 and 2 at 170 pounds in the UFC, but he went up against Daniel Rodriguez and RDA, who are yeah. great fighters. I would be very interested to see him in the PFL. Mm. We just talked about the PFL. That's the promotion. I, I The PFL, they're looking to get on a new network um, or remain at ESPN, whatever. But, you know, a guy like Kevin Lee does have kind of some some star power. You know, he, he hasn't really – not that he's, like, selling multi-million dollar pay-per-views, but he has that potential of, like, mm-hmm. a guy who could, who could be a, a decent star for a promotion like that. So I would love if the PFL signed him. And, you know, maybe this I, – I don't know the logistics of pulling something like this off, so take this with a grain of salt. But PFL is the one promotion that invested in a 155-pound division. Why not they be the one promotion to invest in a 165-pound men's division? Yeah, true. Um, you know, I know that would change some things. You probably wouldn't do 170. You'd probably do 175 or something. But I'm just saying, you know, Kevin Lee is – I think he's a big enough name to where maybe you would try to build something around him because you hope that it pays off for you in the long run. Um, I hope the best for him. I think, you know, I haven't heard a lot of much about Bellator and him. I don't know if that's just not really on the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, Triller apparently has been Uh. calling and, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a hater on the triad combat like Dominic just kind of did, but, uh, I just had a frog in my throat. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Triller, do you? Eh, yeah, yeah. There it is. There's Noah. Yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him in the triangle ring, but it's just the fact that he would have to be doing business with Triller, who I just don't really trust, is, is, is more so the, the backside of that one. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you were going to say something oh, else. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So moving on from there, Bellator 272 happens this Friday. That's right. To be the champ, you have to beat the champ. The wise uh-huh. words of Rick Flair and many others. Sergio Pettis, the current Bellator Bantamweight champion, goes one on one with Kyoji Horiguchi, mm. who is making his second ever appearance in a Bellator cage 
uh, the first of which was for that Bellator Bantamweight title, a fight that he won, never got the chance to defend the belt due to injuries and the, the time of layoff and was actually still under contract with Ryzen. So then he continued to just be so dominant and Ryzen didn't come back. And now here's a chance for him to, to start fresh here in Bellator. And, you know, Dominic, this headline, I love it because it's got a double meaning, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, the, to be the champion, to beat the champ. You think that's just Horiguchi feeling like I got to beat the champion, Sergio Pettis, to take back what I believe is mine. Right. Horiguchi, that is. But both guys have this mindset going into the cage Friday. Sergio Pettis, who had an amazing performance against Juan Archuleta, the long-standing yes. weight champion of Bellator. But he keeps saying he doesn't feel like the champion because the lineal champion, mm-hmm. which is Horiguchi, the guy that he feels is the man to beat inside of a Bellator cage in this Bantamweight division. He said he will not feel like the champ until he beats him. So you get this case, Dominic, of two guys with a similar mindset. I think this fight is fireworks. Actually, I am going to say it. It's my fight of the weekend. Mm. As as much as I love Font and Aldo, we're going to get to that. It's my favorite fight this weekend is Pettis and Horiguchi. Sergio Pettis, there's so many storylines that you could really make from this. I mean, Sergio Pettis still trying to get out of the shadow of his older brother, Anthony, and does it by winning a belt, but then he still is kind of, he still hasn't quite did it yet. You know, he's still kind of being held back and by different elements, you know, Horiguchi being the lineal champion and things like that. Um, It's a tough title defense for your first title defense. Considering all those elements, all that pressure, there's a lot going against Sergio coming in here, but he's obviously very motivated. I like the mindset of, you know, even just because he has the gold wrapped around his waist, and he is the real champion. Don't get me wrong. Right. I'm not saying he isn't, but that he, I believe him when he says he doesn't feel like it. Oh, he yeah. Feels, he, he's just as hungry as those challengers, which is a dangerous recipe. Yeah, I agree, but, man. I mean, oh, sorry. Nope. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, this is just an incredible fight, right? It's between two super well-rounded, fantastic martial artists in their prime. You know, Horiguchi won that one fight in Bellator, gets injured, but he's been in Ryzen since then. I think he went one and one in his two fights since his Bellator, but now he's back looking to reclaim that belt. As Noah alluded to, a guy that loves to finish fights. He's been around for so long. 29-3 and three is his record. This dude is no joke. Um, and then obviously for Sergio – He's looked like essentially a career resurgence ever since he came to Bellator. He was a flyweight in the UFC. I can't remember if he dabbled in Bantamweight or not in the UFC, but obviously here in Bellator, he's a 135er. He's 3-0, won the championship against Archuleta, and he's looked great every step of the way in doing so. And this is really that huge test to kind of take him to that next level, to be put up there next to his brother Anthony Pettis in terms of his name. And what can he go on to do here in Bellator? Will he ever kind of venture out? try and take a crown back at uh, UFC as well. I mean, this kid has a bright future ahead of him, only 28 years old. This is a fantastic title fight. No, a big card overall for Bellator, and it can't be capped off by much better of a main event. Yeah, both guys have something that the other wants. Horiguchi sees that big gold belt, and he says, I want that back. Mm-hmm. Sergio Pettis looks at the respect the 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 pedestal that Horiguchi has put himself on or has as the peers have put him on 
and says, I want that. He's to get the kid that's always been in the shadow. He's yep. always been the one in the background. He's always been the support. He's never been the leader. And now he has a chance to really kind of throw all that away and be like the Phoenix flying out of the ashes. You know, I like it. So I think it's a great fight. Obviously, that a lot of what I just said, that these are a lot of like intangibles. These aren't actual fight styles, but you're getting two of the most well-rounded guys in the world. And no matter where the fight goes, I think it's going to be a thrilling. I would like to think this fight goes all five, but or three, right? They don't, or no, they do five rounds. This is a title fight, so it's five. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I'm blanking on that, but should be fast paced too, man. A lot going on. You know, I just think there's a lot riding on this fight. I poster, by the way, is one of the sickest posters I've ever seen. Have you seen that poster of Horgu? One with the black in the middle? Statue of Liberty. Oh, no, I have not seen that. Oh, we're definitely putting that on the thumbnail for tomorrow. So (laughs) I'm glad you brought it up. I have to look for it. That poster is so sick. It's an amazing fight. Let's move on to the UFC, though, in the meantime. Sounds good. Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. Well, or full versus NT Doe. He's been waiting to do this, guys. Now, Dominic, did you have anything you wanted to share with the class? Uh, I think it's a pretty cool poster, guys. But I get the argument for <laughs> Fall versus Intito. I will agree with everyone that the font, you know, no pun intended, is not the best choosing of the poster. But everything else about it's cool. I do like the the look outside of that, but it is funny, Dominic. Whenever he's the one that sends a poster, he 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 typically does it before there's any opinion out on it. Like I remember he told me he liked the Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum poster, and that's no one maybe the worst. That might be the worst poster that's ever been created. Smith Span fight promotion ever. So um, yeah, that's that. That tells you anything about Dominic. The man is very positive. Font versus Aldo. I now I'm struggling to like say their names correctly. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so let's talk about this Bantamweight division off the top because I know we've talked about it a lot recently, but you got Peter Yan, who's now your interim champion. It looks like he's going to be fighting Aljamain Sterling next, uh, I assume, mm-hmm. um, who is the the current Bantamweight champion. You got TJ Dillashaw, who got a win in his comeback fight over T, um, Corey Sandhagen, excuse mm-hmm. me, over the summer. But then he's dealing with the knee injury, so he's kind of out for a while. And then Corey Sanhagen has now lost back-to-back fights to TJ Dillashaw and then Peter Yan. So he's kind of out of the title picture for the time being. So now, Font versus Aldo, two of the guys that have been a bit overlooked in terms of um, how far they can really get in this division. Mm -hmm. And whether by luck or by you know misfortune of their opponents around them, now to find themselves in a prime position to make a statement here and potentially, maybe, just maybe, the winner here could say, no, 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 not so fast, TJ. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're next. Maybe they're next True. after that. Yeah, so man. what do you think of the fight? 
This is a great fight, obviously. I mean, Rob Font, by the way, is one of the most underrated talents and I think, the entire UFC right now. Um, and he's finally starting to get respect, especially after his great five-round performance against Cody Garbrandt. He's on a four-fight win streak. He's 9-3 and three in the UFC. The guy's been winning for years and years, and now is his prime time. As Noah said, he's ranked number four, Jose Aldo number five, his chance to take out a legend. And who would have thought that Jose Aldo, the former featherweight king, the 10-year unbeaten streak. He loses his belt to Max. He has a skid at featherweight. Comes down to bantamweight. Has a good performance against Marlon Marais, but technically loses. So he was on a three-fight losing streak at one time, and it looked like, eh, maybe there's just not much light left at the end of the tunnel for Aldo. And here he is now off of two back-to-back -back great performances, potentially a win away from a title, becoming or getting a chance to maybe become a two-weight world champion for the UFC crazy to see that Jose Aldo is at this stage of his career after all of this time and all these fights. And one of the craziest things in this fight is that, like I said, Rob Font is 34. Jose Aldo is only 35. Aldo has been in this game since he was a wee lad and he's still mm -hmm. at the top of the top, the creme de la creme. I think it's going to be a fantastic fight, a stand-up back and forth war. Rob Font with the New England cartel, Calvin Cater, a fantastic boxer. Jose Aldo, a Swiss Army Knight on the feet, his body work, his calf kicks. This is a fantastic Bantam White main event, Noah. Yeah, that's really the the battle here is Rob Font's gonna be very heavy on the on the boxing pressure early. And we know how good Aldo's body work, his leg kicks are, but yeah. th it, this could turn into a bit of a race. And if it does, we know one of the knocks on Aldo through his whole career, he's never had the best cardio. Yep. And I have no doubt that a guy like Rob Fine will be able to go that full 25 minutes. He did it against Cody Garbrandt and looked pretty unfazed by it, mm -hmm. if I'm being honest. So this could get into a war of nutrition. I think that's the, the phrasing that gets used typically. Um, if so, I, I think it's a tough fight as the rounds go on for Aldo. So if you're Jose Aldo, you look to try to get a big lead or put him away early. Mm -hmm. You can't put him away. I mean, obviously, in order to put him away, you're going to have to exert a lot of energy. So there's not a perfect recipe here. But right, I say you try to get a lead early and do as best you can to play defense in the later rounds and try to pull out a win that way. I'm not saying that it's he can't be done. I just it's it's a great fight, but it's one that you know we're going to find out a lot about Rafat in this fight. Mm -hmm. I, I feel very good about I know who Jose Aldo is. He's one of the best fighters in UFC history, but he's also maybe a step less than that at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a, he's a contender by all, any stretch of the imagination. He is a contender, but pro, maybe not champion level. Rob Font is still, even coming off a great performance against Cody Garbrandt, it's just still unclear what do we really have in Rob Fine? It's mm -hmm. very clear by what you said. You really believe in his talent, and I think that's great. I think for good reason. But a win against Aldo in any fashion, I think, could answer a lot of questions, even more than it might have against Cody Garbrandt, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I agree, man. This is a huge test for him, and it's one, too, where you were kind of comparing the cardio from both guys. I was really struggling to make a lot of predictions and picks for this whole UFC card. And this one especially because I'm like, okay, I know Rob Fonts can go the distance and look good for five rounds. Jose's not the best in the late rounds. 
but can he finish? Like, I don't see this going five rounds. I think there's going to be a finish regardless. I think there's either an early finish for Aldo due to his pressure and his power or a prolonged kind of pick your shot with Rob Font, get the late finish in the third, fourth, maybe even fifth round. Again, man, just a striking chess match. Who's going to get the upper hand? That's what it comes down to. Let's get into the rest, and we're going to actually go back to Bellator for a second. Co-main event, two top ten, Emmanuel Sanchez and Jeremy Kennedy. What are your thoughts on this one, Dominic? Uh, this is a big fight for Emmanuel Sanchez to bounce back because he's on that two-fight skid. He was in the lightweight uh, Grand Prix down mm-hmm. there, obviously, in Bellator. Lost to Patricio Pitbull. I think that was his most recent loss. Or he, I think he had one more after that one. But uh, anyway, he's on a skid, and it's a guy that really is essentially almost had his whole career in Bellator. You know, he's 12-5. and He's been in there with tough guys. He gets his fair share of finishes, but he likes to go the distance as well. But Jeremy, he's kind of lesser known in this one. He's only had two fights in Bellator. Um, he's 16-3, and three, though, a solid record, only 29. It's kind of just like the guy that's been in there and done that in Bellator and then the newer guy and who's going to kind of assert their dominance in a sense because it is – I mean, it's number four versus number nine. Jeremy Kennedy, obviously, this is going to be the biggest test of his career, but if he beats Sanchez, a guy that's been in there – with Patricio Pitbull, and especially with the top of this division right now, the way it is with the belt being vacated and then Patricky wins it, he can kind of make a case for a title shot potentially, especially if he comes in and puts on an absolutely uh, dominant performance, man. It should be an intriguing fight, but one that I don't really know which way I want to lean or how it will result. Yeah, Jeremy Kennedy's an interesting guy because he's one and one in Bellator, but you know he came in with a lot of success outside of Bellator. Had a nice run in the PFL in 2019. Went 3-1 in the UFC back in the day with his lone loss being to the current featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. Hmm. So the more you know. And, <laughs> right. you know, obviously that loss in, to Adam Borix is, is tough. Maybe it, to some they might think, oh, there's kind of a ceiling to how good this guy can really be in this promotion. I don't really see it that way. He's 29 years old. He's getting better every time he goes in there. And he goes up against Emmanuel Sanchez, who, you know, Emmanuel Sanchez is a dog. He's definitely a competitor. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's a guy that he, whether it seems like the only guy that he really seems to have a ton of trouble with is Patricio Pitbull. He's got two losses to him. You know, besides that, he's really just lost to the best of the best at the time in Bellator. It just seems like he's, he's almost like the Joseph Benavidez of Bellator. He's a guy mm-hmm. who has always at the top, but never the top. You know, different fighters have come through and yep. kind of staked their claim at the top of the division, and he's never been able to do it. He still has a chance to get to that level, but coming off back-to-back losses, Patricio, Mads Burnell in the last one, it's back to the drawing board, and that's why he's fighting number nine now. So I don't yep. think it's an easy fight by any means because I think Jeremy Kennedy does have a ton of potential, but it's a necessary step if he really wants to rebuild what he kind of lost there early on. Yeah, exactly. Um, also on this Bellator card, number five, Johnny Eblen. This is in the middleweight division, I believe, going up against yep. Colin Huckbody. Interesting fight here because um, Colin Huckbody, we know a little bit about. He fought on the Contender Series for the UFC uh, last year, got a contract, but Dominic got released before he ever made his debut. What do you expect from this one? 
this is interesting because of we've seen Huck body and that he's literally impressed the boss man, Dana White from the UFC earned a contract there gets released. I'd love to know more of a backstory on why that happened. No, I think you even said off recording. He had a fight scheduled. It got canceled. Then he got cut. So I'd love to know a backstory there. If anybody knows, let us know in the comments or leave a voice message. But, uh, you know, he's a good fighter, man. He's got a lot of finishes. He's young, only 27, but Johnny Eblen, he's nine and oh, Noah. And he's 5-0 in Bellator. He's got five finishes, all five of them in the first round. And he's only 29 years old. He's 6'3". He's a massive guy. Ranked number five in the division. Interesting that he's fighting a Bellator debutant here in Huck Body. Someone that is unranked, obviously, and just starting out in the promotion. Uh, I don't know kind of how this matchmaking came about. Bellator kind of does this every so often. But I really think Johnny Evelyn here, it's kind of made for him to win. But Huck Body could come in make a statement, and boom, you're exploded right into the top five of the middleweight division. Should be a fun fight. I'm very much intrigued to see if Huckbody can kind of prove the UFC wrong in this one and right the ship in Bellator. Man, you really think so? I think this is a more even fight than, we, we, than we're thinking because mm-hmm. Huckbody's making his debut. Yeah. This is a guy that was looked at as UFC caliber but unfortunately got cut for some reason before making his debut. Had a great performance on the contender mm-hmm. series. And he comes in here, yes, it's number five guy in the middleweight division, but I think Huckbody could very well be in that at that level. So I, I actually like this matchmaking from the sense of if you think he's that good, go ahead and see what you got. Yeah. And uh, this is a guy who's remained, you know, he's he's been active. He's he's fought a lot, had a lot of good performances. Um, I don't see, I, th- I see this being a pretty statement win one way or another. So it could very well just be kind of another, another statement for Johnny Evelyn as he's looking to kind of get a bigger matchup. But I, I don't know, man. I, I think that there's uh, some potential for the upset here from Colin Huckbody, if I'm Ooh, being honest. I, I like it though. Real spicy. <laughs> Uh, just wanted to mention for Bellator, this is just a, probably one of their, their best card of the year, I would say. Mm-hmm. A couple other names to look out for that me and Dominic are fans of. Kai Kamaka third, a guy who never was able to really get his footing in the UFC, but I still think that guy has a lot of potential. And Spike Carlisle, our man. That's right. That guy is tailor-made for television fights. And he <laughs> I gets agree. To be on, he gets to be on Showtime, and it's the second fight of the evening. So make sure to tune in early to see Spike Carlisle. Now, Spike. back to the UFC, we do have a few more fights to talk about. Co-main event. This fight's gone under the radar, and it really shouldn't, because Brad Uh -uh. Rydell and Rafael Fezaev, two elite strikers, go head-to-head. Dominic, who's striking, comes out on top. (laughs) Buddy, that's a fantastic question. Brad Rydell, professional kickboxer, right, before MMA, if I'm not mistaken. So he's been incredible, man. He's on a seven-fight win streak. He's 4-0 in the UFC. Rafael Fazayev just cracked into the top 15 after his most recent win against Bobby King Green. He is on a four-fight win streak. He's 4-1 in the UFC. They're both 10-1. This fight is so badass, No, It's going to be such an absolute back-and-forth war. It's not going to be boring. I absolutely promise you that. And if it is, I'm going to be very sad on Monday's uh, episode when we <laughs> recap this fight. But, yeah, this is this is one that's made for one of these two guys are going to come out and make a statement and really solidify themselves as kind of the next up in the lightweight division. Because 
this is obviously the best division in all of the UFC, potentially in all of the mixed martial arts, right? But this is these two guys, that new wave. They're coming in. We're so used to all these guys in kind of the one through ten range, veterans, some newer guys, but pretty experienced at the same time. Then this is that new fresh blood, man. And I look for a big, big statement win, a big statement finish from one of these guys. I'm just curious to see who it's going to be. Yeah, it's hard for me to predict the finish. I mean, both these guys, Fazayev, I believe, did get finished in his one UFC loss. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these guys, man, they both just go to war. And you, both of their last fights, that's all you have to look at. Yeah, I know. Uh, Brad Rydell against Drew Dover, Fazayev against Bobby Green, two of the most underrated fights of the year. And both look fantastic. I will say, it seems like Fazayev tends to – it seems like his sometimes his opponents are – he seems to almost face like the best version of his opponents a lot. Yeah. You know, Bobby Green was kind of looked at as like a bit of a stepping stone. And he proved to be more than that uh, in that fight. He, he nearly won that fight against Fazayev. Um, Brad Rydell just seems to have had a much easier time getting through his competition, even with like the war against Drew Dober, like I said. Yeah. But um, I don't know if that's really a way to kind of go one way or another. I just think I think Fazayev is a bit more battle tested. I think he's faced more adversity. Um, I love his striking; it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. While I think Brad Rydell does a great job of mixing it up, he does a lot of kicks along with the punches as well. And um, yeah, this fight's—I mean, it's it's a perfect co-main event. It's gonna go. It's under the radar, but. I think they're going to deliver big on ESPN Saturday. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they're getting the opportunity to be that co-main slot, man. And, you know, that, that kind of fight that we just said, you could just copy and paste those kind of thoughts <laughs> here. Yep. But in the light heavyweight division, Jimmy Crute, Jamal Hill, both coming off of having their limbs uh, not in the places they were supposed to be on their body. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's a, a, for lack of a better word, that is a way of saying, they're coming off of kind of the biggest adversity they face so far in their career, both coming off losses uh, for Jamal Hill. That might be his first professional loss. It's his first yep. in the UFC for sure. Jimmy crew, not quite his first loss, but considering he was going up against Anthony Smith, who's a top 10 opponent, um, you know, it's a tough one to swallow, especially in the fashion that it happened. So coming in here, Dominic, is there anything for either one of these guys, is there going to be any head games here, any mind games, anything where you have to kind of psych yourself back into being in the octagon? For two young guys who are just really looking to bounce back but maybe afraid of what another loss could do to derail their career? I think both these guys are going to come in hungrier than ever. Again, like Noah said, copy and paste from the last one. This is that next wave, the new wave of the light heavyweight division. And this one, it's much easier to make a splash because the division is not as stacked as the lightweight division is. Jimmy Crute has shown more of a finishing prowess and a more weaponry in getting those finishes. Jamal Hill, on the other hand, has four of his eight wins via KOTKO, but he has shown that he can go the distance and grind out wins as well. So we haven't really seen that as much from Jimmy Crute, especially in the UFC. So both guys have shown us different things. They're incredibly talented. 25 years old for Jimmy Crute, which is still mind-blowing to me that he's only 25 and already has six fights in the UFC. Uh, and then Jamal Hill, 
he's 30. They're both from the contender series. So you know how Dana uh, loves those contender series fellas. These are two of the biggest names he's had from that show in terms of kind of the splashes they've made so far in their young careers. It's an amazing fight, man. And another one where regardless of who comes out on top, there's going to be a statement made. I just can't help but think that in both of these where they're just going to be super fun, fan-friendly, and something's going to be made out of uh, the winners. I think there's a lot at stake in this fight. I don't mm. know why, but I get the feeling that you know both these guys' losses, their previous fights, were in very high-profile fashion. Uh, considering you know Jamal Hill, his arm was like dangling in the wind as he got elbowed in the face, while Jimmy Crew, you know, had the weird Spaghetti ankle legs. rolling. Yeah, Anthony Smith doing a great job on those calf kicks. I guess is what I should be saying. Um, the only thing that Jimmy Crude should be thankful for, I guess, is that he was on the same card as Chris Weidman, who Oof. broke his leg in half. So yeah. um, I do think there's a lot at stake for that reason because another loss here and, you know, there's going to be a lot of question marks about what what that, that guy's future in this division will really be, what his ceiling truly is. While I think both these guys have a lot of potential, I think they've proven that they're very talented already. I just think that the UFC is going to back one of these guys in terms of pushing them forward and really trying to make them kind of a contender in the light heavyweight division. And it's going to be whoever comes out on top. That's the best way I can put it. Yep. I was just about to ask you that because we've had these before and you've said that exact same statement there, but you clarified it. One of them is going to be pushed. The other will mingle. You know, that's yeah. just the, yeah. that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Following that, Brendan Allen gets a short notice replacement. And it's a guy who was making a this. He's making this back-to-back uh, -back short notice uh, spots here. As Chris Curtis comes back uh, a month since his debut in the UFC, where he knocked out Phil Hall's big underdog win. There, can he make it two in a row here against Brendan Allen, Dominic? Hey, this is my fight of the night pick. I love this fight. I love Brendan Allen. And I love Chris Curtis, and you guys have heard me ran on and on about Chris Curtis and the journey that he's had to go through to get into the UFC is just crazy. This guy's retired he, like three times in his career. He's retired three times. He's been in the PFL. He's done everything. He won on the Contender Series, didn't get a contract. It's just nuts. And now he's 34, so time is not on his side, whereas Brendan Allen is only 25 years old, and this is going to be a seventh UFC fight already. He's 5-1. and one. Another Contender Series guy. I love when all that blue comes up when Dana does his video on Twitter for the week. But this is going to be such a fun fight. Brennan Allen is as well-rounded as they come. Another guy that I think people believe in his skill set but still feels underrated to me at the same time. But I've always been high on this kid, especially at the young age and all the experience that he's had with very top-notch competition. Chris Curtis, he's got 35 professional fights, man, and he's just looking to make a name for himself because he probably realizes I don't have that much time. So I need to come in. I need to make statements in that fight with Phil Halls. He faced a lot of adversity. Phil Halls was having damn near one of the best performances of his career until he wasn't. And Chris Curtis showed he's got the power man in his hands and that's all it takes. So Brennan Allen's going to have to be careful in this one. A very fun fight. Again, my fight of the night prediction is this one. I'm a little, I'm surprised by that, but I like that pick. I do. I, I think, uh, it's an uphill battle once again for Chris Curtis. Obviously, a, a code he has cracked once already. Mm -hmm. But um, I respect what he's trying to do here. He's, you know, he, his kind of mindset. When he, when I heard him talk on the MMA Hour, he, I don't know, he just he doesn't seem to be necessarily like 
mind all on that title or something. He's just, his goal was to get to the UFC. He had an opportunity to do so. And he's just trying to make the most of it while he can. Yep. And I just have a lot of respect for that. A guy who just kind of reckon just lives in the moment a little bit. And, you know, taking fights like this, this isn't easy. You know, going up against Phil Halls. Oh, yeah. He's one of the bigger up-and-comers in the division, and you knock him out, and then you follow it up by going short notice again. Because Brendan Allen, when you could have very well have waited and gotten maybe a top 15 opponent, I respect the hell out of that. And for Brendan Allen, he had to accept this fight, Mm -hmm. and that's no easy task as well. And, you know, Brendan Allen has been almost the opposite where – you can tell by the way he talks how much he's focused on his legacy and yep. really wanting to be a long-standing champion. So they kind of have different mindset here. I think Brendan Allen's would lead to a lot more pressure to be put on himself, but that doesn't mean that he is um, un- unable to overcome that he's done it already in his career. Right. I just think that uh, maybe some people counted him out after his loss to Sean Strickland, but Look at what Sean Strickland has accomplished since then and shows that that loss was the one that, while Brendan Allen will say shouldn't have happened, it's it's it doesn't look near as bad in hindsight. So I think it's a great fight. Two guys that show a lot of promise for differing reasons. And yeah, I just I look to just have fun with this one. I want to live in the moment with this fight. I feel it. I feel it. But unfortunately, following that, not following that, before that, Loser leaves the brand. Ah, Coconut Bombs is here, and he's ready to go. <laughs> I don't know. I was gonna try to make a rhyme there, but it wasn't. It wasn't happening. Uh, Mackie Patolo goes one on one with Sid from Toy Story. Dusko ah, there it is. <laughs> so the battle of the brains here, and I love both these fighters. I think both these guys' records don't do them justice. I believe Mackie mm-hmm. Patolo's one and four, and yeah. I think Dusko is one and three. One and one two. two. One and two. So I think for Mackie specifically, a loss here, and it's going to be hard to to really you know keep you around. Dusko, I think, has a chance. He's still young enough and talented enough to a loss. You're one and three. That sucks, but like, Maybe they'd keep him around. But I'm going to look at it like loser leaves the brand. Both guys coming in here feeling the pressure, coming off of losses. But the th- here's the difference. Dusko, despite the fact that I would say Todorovic would have the higher ceiling of these two guys, I would say he had the more hype of the two guys uh, in this contest. I would also say he has lost his fights more in more clear fashion than yes. Mackie Patolo. We shouldn't forget, Mackie Patolo was beating clearly for the majority of three rounds Julian Marquez yep. before getting caught in a submission. So that's why I think both these guys are going to be overlooked, underrated, uh, win or lose here. But um, I, I do think it's worth uh, noting that even though I do think Todorovic maybe has the higher ceiling long-term if they want to invest in him, I think he's a very talented striker and could very well make his way into a top 15 level fighter. I keep a polo has got a lot of those intangibles that I talk about. He's got um, the experience on his side and he is quite a grinder when you really get down to it. I think it's a very interesting fight for that reason. And when you have two guys with a lot of pressure who backs against the wall, 
I tend to look at the mindset of a Mackie Patolo, at least what I kind of presume his mindset to be, to yeah, be the one that's going to show up. So Todorovic just has to fight those variables, but do you think he's capable of doing it? Uh, he's definitely capable. I mean, Dusko's an incredible striker that carries a lot of power, and Mackie has shown that he can not necessarily be like knocked out, but he can be caught. Like Mark has at least <laughs> caught him in that fight, but he just went back to the grappling, and that's what was winning him those rounds until the submission happened. Mackie has just showed us more of a well-rounded skill set in the UFC so far. So, you know, I, I definitely lean toward Mackie the more this fight goes on, if it gets into the second, the third round. And even though he did get tired in that fight with Marquez, he's very strong physically, just a big presence. So if he can just hold Dusko on in that third round, if he has to against the cage or on the ground, Dusko's not really had to be tested with his grappling. And I think it's going to happen here in this one. Again, Dusko can pass the test. He has the power to do so. But both guys, as you said, no loser leaves the brand. A lot at stake for both. Yeah, by the way, this is my fight of the night pick, actually. Oh, okay. I like that. Last one, Manel Cape and Zalgas Z- Zumagulov. Zumag- Zumagulov. There we go. There you go. The battle of flyweights. Um, once again, you got a couple guys who have had an iffy run. Of sorts, but both I think more talented than their records will show. Manel Cape, yes. uh, the former Ryzen champion, he's had a tough run. He is coming off a win in a highlight real fashion, but one where he missed weight. Yes. And then he had two losses previous to that one against Pantoja, who we know is fantastic, but um, also followed that up with a loss. He Who did he lose to after that? It was, um, uh, I'm not going to remember. He had the a guy's split. Name. It was a split decision. Yeah, though. I it was that. a really good fight. I forget the guy's name. He, I shouldn't forget his name, but I apologize. While Zumagulov has actually had kind of a similar path. He's one and two. Um, He lost a split decision to um, who is Sean O'Malley fighting? Um, Oh, Holly and Paiva when he was at flyweight. Yeah, so he he lost a split decision to Paiva, and it's a fight that most say that Zalgas probably won. So he's kind of one of those guys that could very easily be on the up and up, two and one, if a judge scores it that way. Instead, he finds himself kind of a middling flyweight right now. This is going to be one of those fights, like I've mentioned multiple times before. While these aren't necessarily prospects, I think the winner of this fight has a very big ceiling in this flyweight division. Obviously, it's not the most stacked division in terms of names. There's a lot, quite a bit less, so there's less people to have to go through. But Manel Cape is kind of the obvious one. He's a former champion, a guy that came out with a lot of pedigree. But I think Zalgaz has shown that he is quite talented in his own right, and consistency has been on his side. That is something Manel Cape has severely lacked, whether it's been in the cage or his preparation outside the cage. So can he put it all together here? That's all I want to see. Weight be on point, performance be on point, and then we can start really talking about this guy seriously again. Thank you, Noah. You literally took the words out of my mouth as I was going to say them, so I'm just going to shut up. (laughs) That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Weekend Preview. Give us your thoughts on these fights, any predictions that you may have, and we'll be joining you back here again on Monday. We will have a um, regional showcase. That's right. It is LFA 119, I believe, is this week. So uh, we'll have that to you on give that to you on Sunday along with the recap. But uh, until then, 
Dominic. Tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at DSLE14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with the show on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, fights are back. Enjoy them this weekend. For me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at NTBaker underscore. If you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram, there is a link that will take you to a link tree, which will present you a list of links to all the platforms the podcast is on along with social media platforms. So that includes... It's not limited to... The Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout out. Shout out, Anchor. First one, leaving a voice message. Please do it, people. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, any questions you may have, we'll feature it on the show. Also, there's a link on there if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. Any support would be appreciated. But that's it. We're out, and we're going to see you all on Monday. <laughs>